We all remember recess growing up in school. Recess was a time of day where you could have all the conversations that you could not have while in class. Recess, recess is where you had the real conversations and real conversations we're going to have. In each episode of the Recess Podcast, I'm going to have real conversations explaining students and school. I'm David McGuire, and I'll be your host. It's recess time, y'all. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Recess Podcast. I'm your host, David McGuire, and I'm back for episode 12. Can't believe I made it to 12 episodes, but this is Education on a Thursday Night, part two. So if you know, last week I did this and I ran solo, but this week I got a guest with me. I'm going to give her a chance to introduce herself, herself. But tonight we're having a conversation with the people, with the people and for the people covering a variety of things. And if you're your first time listening to the Recess Podcast, Real Education Conversations is playing students in school. We're streaming live on Facebook and on the YouTube page at the Recess Podcast. I uh, want you to like, share this video. Again, the best part about the show is that, that we have the live comments. So we love to have folks tuning in live and comment. We'll get those comments posted. Um, and we're going to have a great show. And like I said, this is education on a Thursday night. And we all need a little education every now and then. So we're going to jump right in. And before we jump into our first topic, I'm going to have my guest introduce herself. She's like family. I, she she put me on her show. Uh, well, I bet right before the pandemic happened, we had a, a very good conversation. So we have good energy. So, so tell the folks who you are and what, what you plan on bringing tonight to the Recess Podcast. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Cassandra. Uh, you want me to talk about government last name? My name is Cassandra Anderson and I am from Indianapolis. I am a proud HBCU alum, graduated from Spelman College, and I have been in the field of education for over a decade now, um, working from the community aspect, community engagement aspect. Um, worked with I've worked with youth for over a decade as well, and I've been in the nonprofit sector for over a decade. I currently uh, work for Enroll Indy, and I also work as an adjunct instructor at Ivy Tech Community College. And I have a podcast myself. So thank you, David, for having me on. Absolutely. So we're gonna have some fun tonight. So we're gonna jump in with this week in education. I'm gonna give a quick shout out to my fellow NDK12 blogger Andrew Pillow. So this comes from Andrew. And so he uh, had a post that posted today, local teacher union leaders support strike over COVID concerns. And so there's a quote in there that I'm going to read. And it's from uh, Glenn Eva Dunham. If I pronounce your name wrong, I apologize. But it says, the members of AFT Indiana will not be bullied or threatened to return to situations that are unsafe. Bullied and threatened. So for full transparency, I am a principal of elementary school, Tinley Summit. And I first want to say that everything I say on the Recess Podcast is solely the views of the Recess Podcast and me has nothing to do with Tinley and Tinley Summit Academy. So I want to name that just in case some people want to try to tell on me uh, <laughs> the things I say. But because bullied and threatened, I, that's he's stretched. He, yeah, that's a stretch. I understand that the concern of you know, from a teacher's perspective of not wanting to go into an unsafe environment. I, I get that. Um, but you, you and I were talking offline. I haven't heard of any school districts that are, you know, 
as we discussed, telling teachers they're going to lose their jobs if they mm -hmm. don't come to school. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if he's just saying that because, you know, schools have not completely gone virtual and, right. you know, there's still the up in the air about, you know, in Georgia, they went back to school. I don't know if you saw that picture. I didn't see that. All the students, uh, I can't remember was in Georgia, but high school, first day of high school. And it's like the hallways are crowded. And so they're like, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And I, and I can fully understand that. Um, but I don't know about bullying. Yeah, and it threatened. Like, so look, I, what I've seen, and I, I, I can only speak on the context of Indianapolis and some parts of Indiana. I've seen most districts have been flexible, and school districts have been flexible with teachers who have serious concerns about returning to school. That they've even offered them an option to be like the school's virtual teacher or whatnot. I haven't heard of any cases where teachers have been threatened. And you know, listen, you know, Facebook, Facebook would have been yeah. humming. Facebook would be hopping. If somebody, so do you think he just did it as a just? Do you think he made that comment to spark some dialogue or discussion or, or or is I mean clickbait, right? Because I mean it's the first thing that I read. It's okay, me throughout the whole article, it's like bullying and threatened. Now I'm wondering like who's bullying and threatening. Now again, I, backwoods Indiana, rural Indiana. Maybe this is a conversation because you know AFT represents all of Indiana and not just Indianapolis or whatnot. But for Indianapolis, from what I've heard. I haven't seen that. So I just, I thought that was interesting. A great piece by Andrew Pillow, but yeah, bullied and bullied and threatened. That's, that's deep. So, that is deep. That, so, all right. So our first topic tonight, uh, I call it the, the double pandemic, right? It's, right. A, it's this thing of COVID-19 and racism, but honestly, for most black folks, if you ask black folks, we've been in a pandemic for like 400 years. And we have. <laughs> right. Like so, and our pandemic right. has been racism. So now right. everybody else is in a pandemic, right? White folks in a pandemic, rich folks in a pandemic. That ain't that rich folks that ain't black, right? Right. And racism. And but as far as COVID, when COVID first hit, everybody wanted a vaccine, right? But I'm almost certain we didn't want that vaccine to be racism, right? Because like the things that's happened that we've seen, the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Breonna Taylor, which, by the way, those officers still need to be arrested. Exactly. In charge. Yes. Yeah, in charge. Um, and then convicted. But that then seemed to put put a uh, a dim, dim the light on COVID. And then, you know, people went back outside because we were protesting. But that's not that's not the avenue we wanted. So right. when you think about this double pandemic, I'm, when I'm not going to ask you which is more severe which is not because to me they're both killing people literally right, right. Um, but how would you like this double pandemic and how it's in fact impacting society and honestly since this is an education podcast how have we seen that it is and will continue to impact education well yeah i think everybody's just like it's trauma you know it's mm -hmm. not only is a double pandemic it's trauma on both sides it's trauma from dealing with the racism and then it's trauma from an education side of students not being able to connect with, you know, their teachers and their friends. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, we've been dealing in the pandemic for over 400 years. And yep. so we're having to adapt. Unfortunately, I think it's also going to bring out the continued inequities in our system um, because those schools that don't get funding like they should, you know, and those urban schools, you know, now COVID is going to really expose or continue to expose inequities. I think as we were talking about this, 
offline, one thing that you said yesterday in our conversation, and it really kind of stuck with me, you said that um, in order to fight the racism when it comes to white teachers and what they could do is to make sure our kids know how to read. Mm-hmm. And so that really stuck when I was like, at first it just kind of went over my head. But then as I, the more I thought about it, I was like, no, but that's so right. Because at the end of the day, what we know is that when they're looking to build prisons, they look at the literacy rate of third grade mm-hmm. African-American males. And so if our kids are not able to read, then guess what? That's that school to prison pipeline. Um, I just, our babies, I hate to say babies because they're about babies, but our children, I hate yeah. when people say that our babies, our <laughs> children, they, they are, they're suffering. I mean, how do you explain to them that they can't go back to school and be life as normal? And, but then they're also seeing all the injustice that they're facing. So they're also worried about, okay, I can't go back to school, but hell, I can't even, oh, can I say that? I'm sorry. Yeah, you can I say can't that. Even go, I can't even go outside. And or I'm having to worry about my dad leaving and coming home, making it back home safely because he may get stopped by the police. You mm-hmm. know, so those are all things as adults. We're not even really equipped to deal with the trauma. So mm-hmm. how do we expect kids? You know, how are we checking on our kids to make sure that they are getting through this double pandemic? Yeah. OK. Yeah, I think, you know, I always everybody seems to ask the question of educators and leaders. How is your school going to fight anti-racism? I'm going to say the same thing we've been trying to do. Make sure black and brown kids can read. Right? And that, that's what I told you. Like, to me, that that's all, I, that's all I got for you. Right? Like, I'm not about to sit up here and think I'm, uh, what's it, MD, Kendi? I'm not a, I'm not a anti-racist p- professor. Right. If, but my avenue is making sure these kids can read. To your point, to make sure we're not building more jail beds and prisons based off the literacy rates. Right? And so... To me, that that's the most anti-racist thing you can do uh, for my white colleagues and counterparts that are in the education that, you know, read all these books. Kudos to you. They are good reads um, and you do your focus groups. But I need you to also be doing a, a, a focus group and reading group in a book club over the literacy race of black children and how to engage them. Like, let's talk. So do that, too. Right. I mean, and then not be the popular. It's like now it's the popular thing. You know, we oh, talked about yeah. this before where. Even you think about this time last year, racism when it came to when in terms of education and what our students face was not a, a, a big topic. Mm-mm. And now it's like everybody's talking about it. It's a popular thing to talk about. But it's like we've been fighting this fight for over 400 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know that the system was not built for us and it's it doing exactly what it was set up to do, which is fail us. And so when you throw COVID in there, it's it's even worse because our naturally African Americans are leery of the healthcare system, yeah. and so you know now they're gonna have to fight. Well, do I allow my child to take this vaccine? Do I trust this vaccine? So it, it is a double pandemic. I don't know mm-hmm. what your thoughts are about that, but yeah, no, I agree. I think you know, I mean, what are schools gonna do? Make kids get a COVID vaccine too, right? I mean, that that's the conversation that needs to be had, and. There's that piece because you do have some families that just believe in the, the whole holistic approach and, and things like that. But I mean, it's it's a tough time. But this is what I will say. I hope that not just the, the heightened sense of, of racial uh, equality that needs to happen and the COVID-19 and, and safety and, and health and things like that. I hope this makes schools and school leaders better and it pushes you to really think about things more internally, your systems and things like that. You know what else this made folks think of? This whole conversation about um, less kids in the classroom, 
Now you have to do it, right? But that used yeah. to be the educational thing, like the less kids in the room, the better they learn. And I have my thoughts about that because I feel like what's the point of having three cohorts of 18 kids and two of the teachers are good and one is terrible? Mm-hmm. I'd rather have two cohorts of 30 and everybody has and both are good teachers. But, you know, at least this is thinking about the importance of making sure that we're not just jamming kids in the classroom and 35 and things like that. But it's also thinking about principals in their systems and how we need to be more equitable when it comes to Internet. Mm-hmm. Right. Because. You, you know here that was it was terrible in the spring like nobody had internet nobody had technology it yeah like, right yeah so that's why I said COVID is really continuing to expose inequities in schools and when you and when you think about I think I was reading something I don't know if it was chalkbeat or it was I think it was a chalkbeat article but it talked about a parent who had a drive to her sister's house um just to access the internet for her child to do her homework but they were doing the homework in the car. So can you imagine like, then they're not even the homework doing the schoolwork in the car. Can you imagine sitting in the car for hours trying to do your schoolwork because you don't have access to internet? Mm-hmm. And they didn't have access. I think there was like an old utility, I mean, an internet bill that got paid. So it's just like, you know, we have a lot of parents who don't even really know how to use technology. You know, yeah. I get parents who call Enroll India all the time and they're kind of at a loss of how to, just go on and do the basic thing. So the and the, or they don't have time. They're trying to work two or three jobs. They don't have time mm-hmm. to sit down and log into the internet to do this, that, and the third with their kids. So yeah. again, I think COVID, like you said, is is exposing those areas that we need to tighten up on holistically. Mm-hmm. I call it the miseducation of black kids in Indianapolis. Like you call it what? the miseducation of black children in Indianapolis, right? Because in the spring the majority of black children in Indianapolis in the spring did not learn. They just didn't. They got packets and (laughs) they got Chromebooks that they didn't. And and I went to a school, we gave them Chromebooks and packets, but we gave them Chromebooks and didn't provide the proper training. Training We didn't have enough time, right? We didn't Mm -hmm. have enough time because we were up against it. But now I hope that school spent from the time school let out until now, prepping and preparing. And as they wrote out their e-learning plans, they built in the education piece of how we can make, like you said, parents and students more technology literate when it Mm -hmm. comes to education technology and not Fortnite and social media. So that's our thoughts on the double pandemic. Again, if you're tuning in, this is the Recess Podcast, episode 12, Education's on a Thursday Night Part 2. We're having a conversation with the people. It's time for my, my favorite topic of the evening, which is Pimping our black families. <laughs> so first of all, I want to I want to shout out my my boy, Doctor Doctor uh, Smith, my AOS uh, podcast buddy. Yes, I am at the pantry. It's not a pantry. So I'm at my school. Everybody, this is curriculum back here. It's not a pantry of ramen noodles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this topic, pimping our black families. Look, you know how I feel about this, and I'm gonna just say this. I feel like whether it's a school or a nonprofit that is making money off the backs and the failures of black kids and poor black families, it's pimping. It's they're pimping us. And I I think we, we talked about it in the pre-show yesterday. The purpose of some of these organizations, you've mentioned social services is to work yourself out of a job. You're, You're not supposed to be around for 20 years supporting the the miseducation of black children 
and all these things, right? Like, so when I think about even my school, we came in an area to do a job that's supposed to be five to seven years, which is even too long because if you ask Julian Bond, kids that go to school for 12 years and see and receive six years of education is, is a violent crime. But these schools that are coming to turn around, it's got to happen in three to five years. And then you just are a school and not a turnaround school. But if you're turning around year after year after year, and listen, I'm a principal of a school that's been still trying to turn around a school. And so I'm part of this too. We pimping our black families for Title I money, mm-hmm. for grants, for all these other things that we got to stop doing. And so I got an issue with that. And that's been my, my, my latest drive, even as a principal, like I got to stop being part of the pimping of black families. So your thoughts when I say pimping, our black family. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, "What?" <laughs> no, but I mean, I understand that that that's such a hot topic, especially when it comes to charters, for-profit mm-hmm. charters that come into our communities and pretty much set up shop and make millions off of our, you know, off our kids. Like the CEO is driving this luxurious car, and you know, and so it's like, how do you do that when these kids are still struggling? You know, they're they're I. I learn scores aren't and their I read scores aren't increasing, mm-hmm. you know, summer learning losses still. So it, it's it's one of those things where we talked about it yesterday where I said that do we really want to solve the problem? Yeah. You know, do we really want to solve the literacy problem? Do we really want to work ourselves out of a job? We have all these social service organizations. I'm gonna speak from a community standpoint. We have all these social service organizations that are receiving millions of dollars in grants to help our community. So the money is flowing in, but yet we're still having all these issues. Yeah. So there's several things. The people that need to access services, are they really accessing services, number one? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or are you just paying for somebody to come in and be a warm body in a seat and push paper and say that they're running a program? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So my question is, education is a business like any other business. I'm in education too. So yeah. You know, unfortunately, the reality of it is it's a business. And at the end of the day, is that business set up to really do what is designed? Is it set up to do what it's supposed to do? And I, I said that before, do we really want to solve the problem? And it's, it seems like we're, we're not working towards solutions. Yeah. We're only working towards keeping people in their situations because then we won't have jobs. Mm-hmm. If they get better, you know, right? do we really want to solve the, the, the problem of poverty? Probably not. Do we really want to solve the problem of crime? Probably not, because then how many systems are going to be affected by the solution? Yeah, but I even think and I hope and this may be a utopian thought of myself, but if we do do right in education and have high performance schools, maybe that opens the avenue for other things. And so we're, I think it can create better spaces. Right. But. I think people are even afraid of that reality because it's it's unknown, right? And so right. this idea that every kid receives a quality education in a high-performance school does take away from some of those other opportunities out there. But to me, that means it would create more opportunity for other avenues. And so I just, but I, but I feel like, listen, it's easy because again, the system wasn't designed for us. And I mean, the system, meaning the country right. wasn't formed for us, even though it was built by us that <laughs> say that again right it was <laughs> i mean for real, right this country is not for but it was built by us right okay. but again these they're they're pimping on us because we're the easy target and i think to your point is until we recognize it and until we fight against it 
that's how it's going to be. But we are fighting against it. But again, the, the, the weight of it. And also, hell, they got a four, as we said, they got a 400 year head start on us. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to do double the work. But, uh, Doctor, so my, my boy said it's easy to make money of treating the sense of yeah. not finding the cure. Finding the cure. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Huh. I mean, look at look at COVID. Are they really <laughs> pushing money into finding the cure or are they pushing money into providing no. other avenues? I saw the NFL and I love NFL football, but the Denver Broncos, they posted a video of this electronic hand sanitizer spraying thing that the players walk through before going to practice. Why doesn't every school have Question is, had a little, oh, little internet glitch. That's what happens when you're at the school, right? <laughs> what happened? He froze. But, that's what, but, but I, I was saying about the Denver Broncos and this hand sanitizing or this spraying thing they had, like the school should have that too. But again, to me, that's just put, that's pushing money on the Band-Aid, which is what they're doing for us, right? Mm-hmm. They're pushing money into giving us Band-Aids so it doesn't cure it. It just stops it bleeding for a little bit. And they can stay around because eventually the band-aid is going to wear off and we're going to mm-hmm. continue to bleed and we're going to need something else. So we all, me included, you, we got to make sure that we're working against and make sure we're not pimping out our black families. And and we got to speak out against it. So so how do you not do that? I, I mean, what are some things that people can do practically? Practically, I think the first thing you can do, and I'm going to speak from a school standpoint, you got to truly try to educate children. Right? You got to... Because when, you, when you're a high-performance school, you get less dollars from the federal. And so you have to go in and say, listen, we got this Title I grant for two years to pay these teachers and do this tutoring program. By the end of this grant, that needs to be it. But I don't know how many schools really plan for the exit, right? They, they plan for the two years for that grant, and then we're, they, they feel like we're just going to reapply. No, 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 no. You use this money and exhaust it to the penny to make sure that you meet the needs. So I think that's number one. But I think it's even for the education, I think we got to go back. We got to push more money into training teachers better, training leaders better. Um, we got to make sure that schools are truly equal or equitable, whatever term, you know, you want to use. Um, and I think also, you know, we, we got to get out of this mindset of we got to rely on other people and that parents ain't doing what they're supposed to do. Just because parents parenting is different from school A to school B don't mean that parenting is wrong at school A because it looks different than school B. And I know Man. you see that a lot, right? That parents get all this slack because they don't parent the way, the way we think they should parent. Should parent, yeah. You know, so I think there's a lot of things, but I think it, we need to have more conversations, right? And have conversations about solutions mm-hmm. and not just temporary fixes. I think too much, even I've been guilty of it, of having conversations about like temporary fixes and putting band-aids on. How do I increase the IRE scores for this year. No, no, no. How do I build a curriculum that's strong enough that goes all the way down to kindergarten to make sure that by the time they're in third grade, we're not doing remediation, right? I learned an IRE should just be another day. It shouldn't be a pep rally and a social media campaign and high five rallies, which you know how I feel about those. Mm-hmm. I talked about those last <laughs> week, right? Um, that's what state testing is for urban schools. It's a celebration. We got to give kids trinkets and mints and lavender candles and rub their temples just to take a test, right? You know why? Because we're just trying to get it good for that that moment. Uh, you're, right. you're not looking at how do we you're better- You're not building a generation. Yeah, how you how you train teachers and how do you make sure that your phonics program in the early, ed, early education is good? We also need to fund 
pre-K and mm-hmm. make that universal and mandate kindergarten. But those are other topics. Do you have anything else on like pimping black families? <laughs> no, I, I just I think at the end of the day, like you said, we have to get to that point where um, we want to see the system. We want to find the cure and not mm-hmm. just keep putting a Band-Aid on the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So our next topic and, you know, this is something I think when I go back to like when you and I first connected, mm-hmm. you worked for UNCF and mm-hmm. you were doing a lot of this work of mm-hmm. bringing educators, but more importantly, parents and the community to the table. So spend a little bit of time to talk about that, how much that important when, when we talk about the need for black families at the table and whatever that table is, you know? Right. So it's definitely important. Um because uh, oftentimes, and I also say we need to bring students to the table. Um, that's the voice that we are forgetting in the midst of all of this. Like everybody's talking about the student, what should be done, but nobody's actually going to the student and saying, hey, what is your thoughts behind this? Like we're leaving that piece out, but back to the family piece. Um, parents need to be at the table. They need to understand what's going on in their school. They need to understand, you know, when the school board meeting is happening, what Choice, you know, what decisions are being made on their behalf. Um, I live in Wayne Township. And at the, the reality of it is, is there's not one black person on Wayne Township school board. There is now. There is now. Yeah. But prior to that, there that's was true. not. That's there true. Was, it was older white men and white mm-hmm. women. And that's concerning when you have uh, Wayne Township. I don't know the stats, but I know there is a large number of black and brown children who are in the district now. And mm-hmm. so when you don't have families at the table who look like them with a voice, then you don't know what's going to happen Yeah. at the end of the day. So, you know, in order to see the changes that we want to see when it comes to addressing the equity issues, when it comes to addressing the school to prison pipeline, when it comes to address, addressing expulsion rates of, you know, our kids, our the parents' voice needs to be at the table. And yeah. I think a lot of times, like you said, parenting. Now there's challenges because mm-hmm. parents get a lot of flack and, you know, people say, well, parents don't show up to meetings and that. Well, when you are, you have to worry about whether or not you're going to pay rent or you're going to go to the school board meeting, you're again. more than likely going to go to work and not mm-hmm. the school board meeting. So we have to be creative in how we bring families and engage them to the table mm-hmm. uh, and not take their lack of not being there as they're not interested. No, they're interested and they care. But at the same time, with all these other barriers are in place, how do we expect them to be at the table? Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you, and, and, and not just Wayne Township, but I think if there's some other um, school corporations that either just started getting more Blacks at the, on the school board and things like that, but on the topic of school board meetings, what can schools do to invite more families and encourage more families to come to school board meetings. It seems because it's good for me. And I said this on a previous show and I'm only going to talk about IPS and I'm not bashing IPS. So let me name that right now. But what I see a lot with IPS, because it is the, the school district that gets a lot of attention. The only time I see those school board meetings packed is when they about to close the school. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so I'm only saying that IPS because I don't see Warren and Wayne and Washington and Pike closing schools. Right. And Lawrence. Right. Right. But the only time you see a packed school board meeting when it's either something controversial, i.e. closing the school or a new charter school coming. How do we just get parents to come to the general meetings? Because sometimes in those general meetings, some very important decisions are made that parents 
don't even know about, don't get the way in. So how can school districts be more proactive in getting parents to these meetings and make sure they know about them? Well, you got to build a relationship with the parents. Mm, okay. Starting at the, from my opinion, starting at the school level, like you shouldn't just hear from, I shouldn't hear, as a, I'm not a parent, but mm. I hear this all the time as a parent, I shouldn't just hear from the school when my child is acting a fool. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you so you got to build that, start to build that relationship with the parent um, and understand that they are a valuable asset. Like you have to value the parent's opinion and their, um, their voice, but and then you have to be creative. Again, you have to realize that when you're, we'll just take IPS, when you're dealing with working families and you're holding a meeting at 7.30 at night, that may not be convenient for a family to attend or mm -hmm. they may not be able to get down there. So how, what other ways can you engage them um, to be a part of and include their voice? Yeah. So, and I, you know, obviously the pandemic has pushed a lot of school districts, and I, I love seeing a lot of school districts uh, go to the virtual or put more onuses on their streaming live. I, I was able listen, I gained, I, I tweeted this, I, I randomly for more so when it was a hot bucket about what schools are going to do with their reopening. At NDK 12, we, we wanted to make sure we published and stayed up to date on schools plan. And so I, I, I was going to write about, you know, Warren Township, and I just happened to watch the Warren School Board meeting. And I watched the whole meeting as the superintendent went through the plan, as each board member gave, you know, their thoughts and recommendation. And by watching that, I gained a whole new level of respect for the people sitting on that Warren Township board because I saw them as people when they uh -huh. spoke about, you know, how much time they spent on crafting that reopening plan, how hard it was, how difficult, how sleeping nights they held. And I think if more families knew that those members on the school board are real people, most of them have kids in the district. Most of them live in the district. All of them. Most of them um, went to those schools in that district and they truly care. I think that's another piece of you said that relationship. But I think school districts and school boards need to open themselves up to the community and not just open it up when you run up for re-election. Hey, Don't I was just, just do it. Say that. Yeah. Yeah. I, they definitely it goes back to building that relationship like. How many people could say they even know who's on their school board? A lot of people mm -hmm. don't. And that's because, like you said, the school board members are are not visible. You know, they're not making them their, their presence known in the community, in their school community. So I think as a school board, you have to say, well, what can I what can we start to do as a board to become more visible in our community and not just mm -hmm. show my face? Like you said, when I'm running for election or I'm running for reelection. You know, you're yep. very visible at that time because you want everybody's vote. But once you get in that seat, how are you making your voice continuing to be known to the community to let them know that you're working on, on their behalf? Yeah. And I think even, you know, when you represent a district or a section of, of families and community, like you need to leading up to those school board meetings, you need to make sure that you're holding meetings and saying, hey, guys, this is what's going to be on the agenda. What is our district? What What is our community? How do we feel about this? So when I go and talk about it. I'm not speaking for my personal belief because you don't necessarily <laughs> represent you. You represent your district or your right. people. And so when you sit on those school boards, you're saying, so these are what the members of my community or my leadership team, this is what they're saying and how they feel about this. But again, I feel like a lot of school board members, at least what it seems like to me, is when they sit in those seats, they're speaking about, I, I feel, I feel, mm -hmm. I feel, me, me, and not we or us or even they. Meaning they, the people in my district, mm -hmm. feel this way. And it's my job to be their voice mm -hmm. because that's why they elected you. And so right. 
I don't know. You know, again, I'm not making judgment. I'm just, that's, that's my own observation. And that's even the observation that I think you heard. We've heard from other families. So this needs to be I think more- yesterday you talked about off the pre-show, you know, having the right type of family at the table as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's, that's. <laughs> that's hey, important. listen, but here's the and thing. I won't say right type of family, but, you know, having that parent, that, that parent who is in the trench of it and is active, you know, having them at the table, yeah. not the one who um, has the luxury to be in certain spaces, but that mm-hmm. parent who is like in the middle of the trenches of the fire with their student and active. So Here's I, my thing. I got a question though. And, and I'm going to ask this question to school principals, to school superintendents, anybody, do you really want Miss Jackson at the table? And Miss <laughs> Jackson is a single mom of three that works two jobs, but knows who every one of her kids' teachers are. She stays up to date on homework. And she's always at all the parent orientations and she shows up for back to school night. Do you really want Miss Jackson at the table? Because Miss Jackson will call you on your BS. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really feel like that principals don't really want to communicate with Miss Jackson. They want the other Miss Jackson yeah. that ain't really involved. That's too busy to come to the table. But mm-hmm. see, if you get the Miss Jackson, that's about it. Right. That's the Miss Jackson. When we talk about, I guess, right parent that we need at the table. Because that's the one that's gonna push push the culture forward. That's gonna push the conversation. But I think a lot of a lot but then of then we also gotta figure out how to go back and get the other Miss Jackson. True that. Yeah. But I think Miss Jackson A can get Miss Jackson B because they, they see eye to eye, right? I don't understand Miss Jackson's struggle. Neither one of them, right? But I think Miss Jackson A, who is involved, can pull along. But that's where I think that's where school leaders fail. I think that's where I failed early on as a school leader, that I didn't leverage the parents. And that were active and involved to bring in the parents who were less involved, mm-hmm. right? But if you start, I think I became successful at parental engagement when I started leveraging the parents that I had. Shout mm-hmm. out to those parents at Timley Summit, for real, who put up with us. But uh, yeah, th- that's what you got to do. But I want to go back to this work at UNCF because, like, I love those conversations. By the way, and I went Thank to you. all of them, and you did a great job. The food was great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> But the conversation was so rich that I think when I think about, man, I could have had some really good podcast topics based off this conversation. Like folks that went through those conversations, if they went through those conversations, they knew exactly what was going on. Right. And you saw everybody. You saw school leaders. You saw board members. You saw uh, casual community folks. You saw the both Miss Jacksons. Mm-hmm. Right. You saw everybody. You saw heads of corporations and you get them in a space talking to one another and people on the panel caring from them and asking questions. Those are great. We need to bring those back. Somehow. Yeah. yeah you know, it, it's, it's funny cause we mentioned it before. So now we're seeing everybody in this space of wanting to do the town halls and, you know, for a year and a half, when I first started the role, it was, it was foreign. Nobody was doing, you know, nobody was doing it. Um, nobody was really engaged in the community in this process and bringing leaders of color together. Because everybody's in their side was in their silos, mm-hmm. kind of doing their own thing. Um, but I, I recognized the work that I was charged with doing. In order to be successful, I had to have everybody together and bring them to the table to have this conversation and move the conversation. And I think one thing that I really made our conversations successful was that not only did we engage the community, but we engaged them in, in the solutions. And mm-hmm. so, you know, doing those. Um, 
breakout sessions after we had the community conversation. It was just, yeah. I mean, everybody good. had a voice. Everybody had a voice. And again, I, I think folks are doing that now with the town halls. And I even started, I started my podcast in the midst of the pandemic too, right? Because I needed something to do. And it became my therapy. And now it's like a, a full show, which is on Apple Podcasts. So subscribe. Um, but like these town halls now, you know, I think they were good. Um, and I think they're, they're they're good conversations. But then it's like, so what's next? Right? Right. Because I think that's it. We're going to do this conversation and then that's the end of it. And I know when I when I met with, the, uh, I think it was episode three of the Recess Podcast was at the breakfast table. And I had four parents who came on and we talked about early on, school just got shut down. What's e-learning like? What's your suggestion for families? But then we followed it up on NDK12 with the blog, right? And continued the conversation. Um, because I didn't just didn't want it to just sit there. Right. And so then from the, from the parents, I then pulled teachers. And then I did one of my best shows where I met with some, some students. And asked, so what's this senior year like for you, right? I tried to find different layers. And I thought that's what I really liked about you all's conversation. Because if you follow the type, the topics, they layered, mm -hmm. right? They layered on each other. And so I love it. And I think that's what we need more of, right? And so we have to be creative, but we also have to do a follow through. So when you have these live, um, you know, town halls, how do you capture the viewers and say, if you're interested in hopping on a Zoom call about, uh, suggestions. I'll take the first 15 people. Here's the RSVP link and you come out to that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think those are things that need to happen. And so those are my suggestions about action. What do you have for how do we, again, going back to how do we get in the need for get more black families, the right or whatever families at the table? Like what are some action things that we can do as a community? Well, one, I just think I'll put it back on the school board. Mm -hmm. I would say as a school board, member you need to be more involved in terms of your community needs to know who you are and what you what you stand for and what you are advocating for on their behalf um like you said create a newsletter send it out to the people in your area and say hey this is what's going on like you said this is coming up in our next coming school board meeting this is what we're going to talk about you might want to be here to have your voice heard so Get creative and engage those who you are representing at the table um, for families. Starting with just going to your school and finding out, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on at the school. Just do a drop by, drop in. And, and I know we can't do drop ins because <laughs> no. it's possible now. But, you know, starting with, you know, building those relationships with the parents and the administrators at your school. Um, and then from there, connecting with other parents who, are doing the same thing and, and start a movement of making your voice heard. Got to. Absolutely. Uh, also a shameless plug. We're both running for school board in 2022, right? Or 20, which what year did we say we were running for school board? Ooh. You and I, me and you. When did we say this? We right now <laughs> on the show, breaking news. We running for somebody's school board. Uh, I'm, about, I'm about to move in somebody's district. Well, you know, actually I initially before the pandemic, hit mm -hmm. i was considering running for wayne uh, and i had some conversations but i kind of retracted but I, you know what at I some think point I, I will i, I think i'm gonna run when. i think i'm a, i don't know when i'm gonna run too yeah i just i, I feel like I, I need to but i wonder like 
how that would work if I was like the principal of Tinley Summit sitting on somebody's school board. Yeah, I, I need to research that. See if right. it's a conflict of interest for you. I need uh, Rise Indy to holler at your boy. Yeah, I, well, I can connect you to somebody at Rise. Yeah, yeah. We, I want to talk to somebody at Rise. I, I got some things I want to say because I want to jump on somebody's school board. And yeah, here's why. I, because I want to run a right campaign. And I don't even know if I win. I think I could win, though. I think I could win because I got free advertisement with the Recess Podcast, but... <laughs> You could win. I think I, I mean, but here's the thing. I would probably not laugh. I probably would be hated by the board members because I'm, I'm a man of my word. I've learned this in my evolution as a leader. I'm all about the people. I don't care. I, that's just how I ride. And I think people that follow the podcast and they see like, man, he's really about it. So I don't know. I think I would just be like, look, uh, this is what my folks are saying. Yep. Dr. Smith, let's do it. This is what my folks are saying. We ain't really with this. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? Because I'm never one vote. <laughs> and, and I don't care if the vote is six to one or seven to right. one. Right. But I'm going to let you know. I'm going to continue to let you know this. Because when it doesn't work, I'm going to say, mind you, I was the one vote. That me and my folks so. that told right. you so. Right. But we will also be the ones if we say, you know what? We, pro we were wrong about this one. Right. So be it. But it needs to happen. But anyway, Miss Jacksons, if you're out there, all of you, Miss Jacksons. Run for the school board, be at the school board meetings, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person. If we get back to that, show up at the kids at your kids school because they do have safety procedures. You know, get your temperature checked, wear your mask and still sit in that classroom for the 15 minute max time that you have um, and be active and be involved. So, again, we are about a quarter way through the show. This is the Recess Podcast, Episode 12, Education on a Thursday night. I did want to put a plug in. You see it at the bottom. The AOS Podcast, my boy Ball and Smith, AOS Podcast, uh, sponsored by Unk, Ray, and the Eight Black Hands. We got a live show, episode three, leading in the crisis, the remix. We had a, a tremendous opportunity to present at the National Charter School Conference. So shout out to Naomi Shelton with the Kim Foundation for the plug. Uh, we talked about leading in a time of crisis, and we're going to do a remix show tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, on Facebook and Twitter. So go out and follow us on Facebook and follow the Twitter AOS podcast. And we're going to talk about a lot, including my bulletin board that went viral on Twitter. Did you see my bulletin board that went viral? Mm -mm. You didn't see? I'm not on Twitter. Uh, okay. So I put up a bulletin board of uh, black people who were murdered by the police. And it's in my school. And I'm going to send you a picture of it, but it's literally the pictures. And it says, um, what is it? What does it say? Listen, I forgot what it said now. We put it up. It basically says, I don't know. It's, it's basically a, uh, highlighting the black people that's been wrongfully murdered by the okay. police officers who's supposed to protect us. But I put it on Twitter and I basically said, New Year, new mission, and new pressure. And all these trolls who voted for 45. We're in my inbox and on my Twitter. Oh, but shout out to the village that came through and supported me. Uh, yep, there it is, Dr. Smith. Say their names is what it said. But shout out to the village who supported me. But look, it got like 800 some likes, 250 comments. It was crazy. My phone was buzzing. Uh, and it went viral on a lot of different platforms. But the village came out for me. They supported me. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about strategies and how we as principals are leading our schools in a time of crisis. So my AOS podcast mates, man, they're dope. 
Dr. Smith, uh, Ball out in Cali. Uh, they're dope black leaders. And we started this podcast, um, Alpha, Omega, and Sigma, uh, to Dr. basically Smith just from, talk. Uh, no, no, he's, he's, oh, okay. no, he's in Missouri. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Missouri. But yeah, so we're representing three different cities, three different types of schools, uh, different levels. And so again, follow us on our podcast. Check us out tomorrow streaming live, the AOS podcast. I just wanted to put that plug in. Also, uh, as we said earlier in the show, arrest, convict those officers that killed Breonna Taylor. And let's make sure we continue to put pressure on police forces that are uh, trying to continue to step on the necks of black people, figuratively and literally, and make sure you go out to vote in November. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, because that's not what the show is, but just go out and vote <coughs> and vote for your people. So our final topic is going to be fun. Soapbox. What you want to get on your soapbox about? Just what you want to talk about? What that, that we ain't cover that's been on your mind heavy? What you anything you want to talk about in particular? Um, no, so I just you got NDK 12 just published a blog. Uh oh, did it? I it. <laughs> That I wrote. Um, yep. So I'll just talk about that. Uh, two, four ways to emotionally support children during the coronavirus coronavirus pandemic. So it was the article was kind of sparked. Um, one of my friends, I called her one day, and she just her granddaughter was having a meltdown, and it was just kind of tough to hear her be helpless as well because there was nothing she could do in that moment to console her granddaughter. And she wasn't having to break down. She was having to break down because she didn't want to finish doing her online learning that she had to do. She was just like, I'm over it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. And she couldn't understand why she couldn't go back to school. And so this kind of sparked my uh, motivation to write this because I said, you know, our kids, we as adults, all we've thought about it is like, how we've been coping emotionally through how our children are doing during this time. And so I just wanted to kind of write something to kind of give parents, I don't have any kids, but it was kind of inspired, like I said, hearing my friends talk about what they were going through with their children. And so I have four ways that I came up with. So I'll just kind of talk about them real quick. Cause what we realize is that kids, they're experiencing increased anxiety and loneliness during this time period. I mean, think about it. If you're used to going to school and playing with your friends and, you know, having that contact and then all of a sudden you can't do that anymore as a second grader, you don't understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't understand that I got to stay home. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You got to be home all day. All you know is that you want to go and see your friend Johnny or your, your friend <laughs> Shaquita. You know, you just don't, mm -hmm. you don't get all of that. You're like, no, nah, this don't make no sense to me. So Kids thrive off of human touch and being around other, you know, human interaction. And so when we strip that away from them, it leaves them in this space of loneliness and increased anxiety. They're like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So four ways that I came up with. Can I tell them real quick? Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So the first thing was a hug goes a long way. I know we're social distancing and, you know, we're not supposed to hug and touch, but we can't forget that that hug goes along, even as an adult during this time. I've had my moments where I just wanted somebody to hug me, you know, just wasn't thinking about all the other stuff. I just needed somebody to hug me because I just needed to feel like it was going to be okay. So I can imagine as kids, you know, physical contact is important for building those strong bonds. And so 
just realize we can't forget that it still does matter. And I know the quarantine and social distancing makes that harder, right? The other thing was be kind and gentle. Mm. A hard word, word falls harder during a time of stress and high anxiety. And the act of kindness goes farther from the same, for the same reasons. So remember that when you're having those you know, interacting with your children is stressful for you, but it's even more stressful for them. So in those times where you're, you know, want to be in that moment of not understanding why they're clingy and, you know, like go sit down, but just be kind and gentle because they're trying to process this as well. Um, be understanding and compassionate. Empathy matters. Try best to show it and then listen and share your feelings. So allow your kids to have those conversations with you um, and share their feelings about how they're feeling through this whole process. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've learned yeah. that working with youth and all this, all the years that I've worked with youth, that compassion, love, and support can heal trauma and wounds that we've suffered, our kids have suffered. And so we can't forget that, that we still have to show them some type of way to show them love and compassion throughout this process. Yeah, I, I mean, so look, when I when I read it and I saw it and even looking at those four, I mean, those are four easy tips that everybody can use. And again, if, if you want to find that blog, it's on our website, indie.education, four ways to emotionally support children during the corona coronavirus pandemic. And I think, again, all those beautifully stated. And I think for me, I think the one that, and I, I, I want to go, go back to the blog real quick, the one that I think sticks out to me, and I'm going to put this in full layout, is listen and share your feelings, right? Um, we are hosting, uh, shout out to Ashley Verdon and Empower Families, and we're hosting a Pause at Your Peak event this Saturday, along with our school counselor at Tinley Summit, Whitney Smith, about help creating a space for parents to bond. But that main space is allowing parents this opportunity during this pandemic with schooling and everything for us to listen and to share our feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And create this safe space for families to do that so you're not bottling those things in. And I think when I think about listening and share your feelings, it's so you don't bottle it in. It's so you don't hold it tight because that's where you have outbursts and that's where you have mm -hmm. stress when people bottle up and not have an opportunity to share their feelings. And I really feel like a lot of parents, a lot of parents and families since March 13th, when the mayor and the governor shut schools down, have been bottling in all this pressure and stress of managing their job and their bills and trying to juggle e-learning and all the ex uh, expectations and mandates from people like me, principals. And I don't know how many families and parents have really had an opportunity to get away, break away, and be in a space with other like-minded pa parents and families to really listen and share their feelings. And so we're hoping that Pause at Your Peak this Saturday that's open to the public is free at 3.30 at Tinley Summit is an opportunity for families and parents that need it to listen and share. And we're going to be there. I don't know if we'll have 50 people, five people, or one person, but it's still about creating a space. And we're going to do this a lot. Uh, it's sponsored by Power Family Ads. I know Ashley Verdon is doing a lot of these. Tinley Summit is just the first space. And it's going to be the first pause at your peak space. And then we're going to do it hopefully at another school. So if school leaders are listening, if you want to host one of these sessions, reach out to me, reach out to Ashley. And again, this is not a Tinley Summit event. This is an event we hold for the city. And maybe only one or two people come to this one and we get more to come. So, yeah, kudos to you guys for doing. I was going to say, I hope that it's something that continues um, throughout the school year because it's going to be needed as mm -hmm. 
the uncertainty unfolds as changes to, you know, when our children are going back to school, when they're not going back to school, parents are going to need that support. Um, and I hope that this, not only for parents, that something is created for the students as well, to be able to have that same space to come and listen and share, because they don't have the, that, that communication with their peers has been taken away from them. And so mm -hmm. they're trying to process all of this. And so just as important as it is for parents to have that safe space, it's just as important for students to be able to have that space, space, safe space and do the same thing and kind of process this whole whole thing. Because it's a lot. It's, it's really, like you said, you know, you have parents who talk about whether they're having to make the decision of sending their kids back to school or keeping them at home. And not every parent has that luxury to work from home and have to send their child back to school when it comes to, you know, those districts that are are, are having that option of in-person whenever that comes. That's a stressful decision to make because mm -hmm. you're putting your child and not just your child, but you're putting your family at risk because your, your child goes to school, gets sick and then come home then everybody in the house is exposed to the virus. And so it's a tough decision. Um, and I, I don't have kids and I don't envy those right now. And my heart goes out to those right now who do have kids that have to make those decisions as to what they're going to do. But I think even with the e-learning, I mean, it's we're facing something that just parents were not prepared for, the district was not prepared for. And at the end of the day, now we're saying, you know, parents e-learning until IPS is e-learning until October. But what about those parents who can't stay home to make sure e-learning is happening? Yeah, I did hear, I think it was in Washington Township that they're going to have a certain, I think they're going to have like a school open for a limited amount of kids that could come in uh, where their parents who have, parents have to work. And I think they could take their kids to the school. But I think that needs to be something that's talked about as well is because goes back to the to the inequity. Our families don't have that luxury to stay home and make sure our kids are e-learning. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of families that are essential workers. We have a lot of families who are in the retail industry. They have to go to work. So what yeah. what's going to happen to those families and those kids, you know, when they're at work, who's going to be at home holding the kids accountable for the e-learning? Yeah. Uh themselves and the teachers that they're supposed to be online with right but we already know i mean <laughs> we, we already know even when march hit how many students didn't show up e-learning mm -hmm. how many high schoolers just stopped participating yeah uh, we already know that that's not the best solution mm -hmm. if you, you think a third grader is gonna log on my, my mama gone to work you think i'm gonna log into my notebook and do nope. my lesson and the babysitter no, ain't make, no, the babysitter no. ain't making them do it either, right? If, you got a, if they got a babysitter, because if they got a babysitter. Remember, in our families, fifth graders are watching second and third. Third graders are watching first. You know, ain't that so it. they don't have no no luxury. I didn't have no babysitter growing up. It was me mm -hmm. and my cousins watching our. You know, what I'm saying watching ourselves <laughs> while our, our moms and stuff with work. So you think my cousin was gonna make sure I got my work done? Probably not. Probably not. Nope. And as a mm -hmm. third grader, I'm not going to log into no computer and sit there for hours with no teacher. So no, what's going to happen to those? So it's like our kids are going to be falling through the cracks of those parents mm -hmm. who have to go to work and don't have that luxury to be home. And then they're yeah. creating these pods where. You know, that was going to be. <laughs> that was going to be my. Into it, Ooh, but go ahead. That was, no, listen, see, that was going to be my. It was. 
It was, but I, I got something different today. But I'm going to say this about these pies. I, I was doing some more research about these pies. You're right. These have been around for a while. And, and, and you know what? I'm going to put... I saw a company. Nope, that ain't even it. I saw a company popping up trying to pimp our black families on these pies, man. I was like, see? That's what I'm saying. Like, now people starting organizations. I'm about to create my own pod organization for underprivileged families that can't afford it. So you're about to rip them out of a school for social interaction because you think they can't afford it. So you're going to play on the, the notion that they're afraid to send their kid to school. So you're going to create this organization, charge them an arm that they really can't pay for, put them on a payment plan, you right, like they do check loans, right, that – you could pay it every time you get paid two weeks. Nah, man. See, nah. See that that ain't even that ain't even right. Here's what needs to happen: schools need to get off our asses and figure out ways to flex teacher schedules and rethink our curriculum and our models in the moment to support our children. That's what it, that's what it boils down to. I told a fam, I told a parent this. Uh, one of my favorite parents, I love her to death. She talked about how because of the pandemic. She has to have tutoring, right? And she has to pay for a tutor. As a school leader, that punched me in the gut. If any of my families have to pay for a tutor, that means we did something wrong. If, if a parent feels like they have to pay for a tutor to supplement learning, that means the school is failing or miseducating that child. That's my opinion. And so I, I, I take offense to that. I think all school leaders should take offense to if a parent says, I got to get my child a tutor for math because they struggling in school. No, no, no. The school well, job after she said due to the pandemic because okay, I, so I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean that's that's a whole Pandora's box how? because it, it, because it wouldn't so. necessarily fall on the school if it was due to the pandemic. I don't necessarily know if it would if it would fall on the school because you got to take in consideration some kids are not going to learn well in front of a computer. So what, but my thing is, what is the, that was, that was when the whole city was shut down. So now schools have the, here's the misconception, schools have the flexibility to be creative. Some schools are doing, you know, this A through L in these days and this. What I'm saying is she was thinking about her child going from third grade to fourth grade and, you know, getting the tutor. And I said, I said, look, I said, when school starts, what is the school's intervention plan to help close the gap of spring? And summer loss has happened. There, there you that's, go. That's what I that's yeah. what I'm referring to. I'm referring okay, to yeah. the school's intervention plan. Okay. Right? Okay. To yeah, close the gap. Yeah. But what schools are doing is uh they're not really putting no energy in that. And I think that's where your right. energy needs to be. Yes, right. it should be business as usual. Yes, you should be uh teaching for the next grade level, but we gotta close those gaps. I'm not saying yes. go back and teach old standards, I'm saying close the gaps, meet kids well, where they are. Right. And it's going to be interesting when you talk about what is it? Uh, what's the new test now? Because it changes every year. I learn. <laughs> so, I learn. so when students like I learn this year, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting because like you said, not you're having to deal with. OK, we know about summer learning loss, mm-hmm. but hell, spring, spring learning loss. <laughs> you got to deal with spring learning loss on top of summer learning loss. And mm-hmm. now you know, you're bringing them back into the classroom virtually and then you got to address that as well. And then yeah. are they going to be taking the iLearn virtually? I mean, how's that going to work if schools are not open? It's just, a, it's, 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 it's a mess. I'll say this. I, first of all, we need to have state testing. 
So I'm, I'm speaking to Superintendent McCormick, who is transitioning out this year, and I'm thinking speaking to Governor Holcomb and potentially um, what uh, what is it, uh, Dr. Myers, the Democratic uh, candidate for governor. Do not be like Georgia and say we're not taking the state test. Don't do that because here's the thing: I, I heard it on the show. I think it was Chris Stewart. State testing is like going to the doctor and getting your blood pressure checked, right? Like I, you need the data. Schools need that data to know where kids are. It, don't use the data for a punishment. Don't use the data to retain kids, but have these state tests, this diagnostic test to gauge where kids are. And schools then should use that data to align their instruction, to align their PDs for how they develop and train their teachers. That's what needs to happen. That's what state testing is. For me as a school leader, and I said this, and I wrote this in a blog, I wanted to test last year because I knew how hard our students and our families worked to improve the academic outcomes. And I feel like we were robbed of an opportunity to get the bad taste of I learned 2018 and how abysmal our scores were. We didn't get an opportunity to wipe that taste out. I, I know for a fact we were going to jump possibly 15 to 20 percent of proficient growth at least from the previous year, last year, because that's how hard our, our, our students and our, our staff at work. And so for me, because state data is, it is what it is. And I'm not going to get in a debate about people, how they feel about the A to F's great lady, letter grade. It is what it is. And I'm not teaching my kids to run around hurdles. I'm teaching them to run through it. So this is what the bear they put in our place and we're going to meet it. So if this is the test we got to take and pass, we're going to do it. And so I want the state test because I know that my teachers are busting their asses to uh, to teach our kids. I know our kids and our families are working hard to close that achievement gap. And I want us to have the opportunity to show everybody that our kids are learning. So I want the state test. I think they should make it optional. I don't think they should just mandate that nobody takes it. I think you should do what they're doing for the IRE and allow schools to opt in and take it if they want to. And there's no accountability as from a sense of like it affects your score, but just schools can take it and use the data how they feel is necessary. But do you think it's going to be, yeah, I'm, I have my thoughts about testing and state tests. So we need to come on another about, show but do you, and talk do about testing. Do you think <laughs> that um, if, if it's done this year, I guess my concern is all the trauma that, you know, the, the kids have experienced and mm -hmm. knowing that there was that spring learning yeah. loss and summer learning loss. Do you think this, the data is going to be accurate? Um, It'll be accurate. Test. Yeah, because I think if you think about it, it's accurate for where the kids are in that moment, including trauma and stress. Right. So, like, I'm not going to eliminate those factors because those factors are real. Those factors are current reality. But if those factors weren't involved with those tests, results potentially be higher. That's yeah, what they, I'm saying. Like, I think they would be. I mean, they naturally would be. But this trauma that these kids are facing will probably linger for the next couple of years. And so uh -huh. we can't say we're not going to test kids for the next couple of years because we got to wait till they are, you know, don't have this COVID trauma or whatever's going on. Like we need to know where kids are in the moment, because here's what I say all the time. When we talk about black and brown kids, no one's going to care five years from now that these black and brown kids uh, lost summer learning in 2019 and 2020 when they're competing against uh, affluent white kids who didn't have a summer loss and are competing for the same seat at that university, they're not going to be able to write on their college acceptance or their college interest letter. Well, I, when I was a freshman in 2019 during COVID, 
uh, my school didn't have a proper e-learning platform, so I didn't get to learn. That's why my SAT scores or my GPA dropped. Ain't no college going to care about that, right? And so our kids already, like we said with racism, our kids are already starting uh, further behind or further back on the runway. But they're still trying to compete for the same seat that other right. kids already have a leg up on. So we can't continue to make excuses for them, right? We, we, I, think, I just think we, we can't because I think we do them a disservice. So Dr. Smith said, but how can we know how much loss happened if we don't? Yeah, assess our kids. That's, that's what I'm saying. We got to know how much loss happened. Um, before we assess our kids, but I didn't get to my soapbox, and my soapbox is real simple, and I'm gonna post it right here. These two beautiful children, I think, got lost. You know, in last time I checked, their murderers, their killers, haven't been brought to justice, and I think we need to continue to talk about uh, Roger Payne and Nia Cope, who were gunned down. Roger in his home, who actually was a Tinley scholar, and Nia was gunned down in a car with her mother and I think her best friend. When they rope, when they were driving past that car show, whatever they were happening, when people were just shooting. But we're talking about an eight-year-old and a 16-year-old that was gunned down in senseless violence. And last time I checked, their killers haven't been brought to justice. And so I just want to highlight, man, we got to do better at protecting our children. Um, we got to make sure that we aren't putting our children in harm way. We got to make sure that when we are doing things like that, we shouldn't be doing like shooting, that we're taking into account that these bullets don't have eyes. And they're gunning down our youth. Roderick wanted to be the president of the United States. We might have just killed the next black president of the United States, right? That's what I'm saying, right? Like, when we are killing our children, we're potentially killing those that could run for elective office, that can be the next CEOs, um, that will employ more minorities, that we are killing our next uh, teachers and principals and, and school leaders and all these other things, like we're, we're killing our future and we got to do a better job of protecting our children. And so I'm pleading to everybody that's listening, everybody that's watching, we got to do better protecting our children. And I just want to highlight, I want to put these two children up here because last I checked, their killers haven't been brought to justice and the news still hasn't put them pressure on. But I, I'll say this, if Rachel in Whitetown, Indiana was missing, she'd be on CNN. So I need to know why Roderick and Naya are still getting the 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 notoriety they need to make sure that we capture their killers. And so I, I want to know that we're still praying for those families. Um, and I hope that their killers are brought to justice and taken off the street because they robbed us of two beautiful young people. And it's happening far too often. And it's, it's really, it's getting to me. So that's my soapbox for this evening. So we're at our time. So before we close, you know, I always want to give an opportunity for you to talk about any of the work that you're doing Personally, or any of the work that you want to highlight, or just anything you want to highlight. So I'm gonna give you the solo screen, and no, let you just you can just you can leave. Me I can leave your. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I won't give you the solo screen, but close us out. Anything you want to do to close us out um, from your point? I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate thank it. You, you know, enjoy me. the conversation. We're gonna have to bring you back, uh, probably with some other guests and we, uh, for anything. But thanks for coming out. So, what do you want to leave the folks with? Anything? Anything you want? Um, I think. You know, I, I saw something floating around on Facebook probably about a month ago that says something to the tune of, you know, if you don't come out of COVID with business or uh, a new idea or something like that, then you're just being lazy. And so I just want to leave people with be compassionate mm. to yourself, be kind to yourself, because we're all 
experiencing something that we've never experienced before. Um, David, you know me, I'm a grinder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yes, you are. No, I, like I'm a hustler to, you know, the right way in terms of, you know, I'm always on the move in terms of working and, and grinding. But I can honestly say during this time, like my motivational level has been, mm. you know, it's up and down. Some days I'm motivated to do something and some days I'm just like, okay, what's can tomorrow hurry up and get here? Mm. And so I had to realize that it's okay to not be in this space where you feel like you have to be great all yeah. the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Even mm-hmm. from That's a... True. Uh, just be, just get through this pandemic. Just come out mm-hmm. and then regroup and refocus, you know, but come out knowing that you've been compassionate to yourself. You've been loving to yourself. You've been forgiving to yourself and take care of yourself mm-hmm. throughout this whole process. Um, take those moments of self-care because if you're not any good for you, you can't be any good for those. And I would say this as parents as well. You know, if you don't take care of you, then you can't take care of the children in your home. So you got to first make sure that you save yourself. And I think somebody, because I'm on highest with my podcast and somebody's like, well, when are you? And I said, right now, my focus is on just saving myself. I've been mm-hmm. saving the world. And now, <laughs> now mm-hmm. I can save Cassandra. So, That's right. You know, in the middle of all of this. You know, it's so much going on and we want to fight and, and and save everybody. But make sure you save yourself in the middle of all of this. I don't know if that was what you were looking for, because I know it's education based. No, but I just really want to encourage people to make sure you take that time to make sure you are OK. No, that that, that was spot on. That's because I think my way of of I think helping myself because, I, you know, those. New Amsterdam, which is one of my new favorite shows on NBC, that, there was an episode and the doctor says self-care saves lives, right? Talking about doctors, right? Why he runs and bikes and because self-care saves lives, like you got to be right. And so for me, that's what this podcast, that's why I jumped into this because it turned into my own therapy, having these conversations with education friends, being able to connect and just talk this and, and get on Facebook like this. But like you said, like we need this and we got to do this um, to, to get better. So that was spot on and I loved it. And, and, Again, I know it's an education show, but again, we're having a real conversation. That was real. So my final thoughts is, I think it goes to my, my the motto. So the Recess Podcast, I like to create the platform, control the conversation, and change the culture. So I created, I, I want to create the platform, right? The purpose of the Recess Podcast was to have what I felt was lacking in the city of Indianapolis, which was real conversations in education. And so that's what creating the platform is. And then this is about controlling the conversation. I ain't sponsored by nobody but StreamYard. And I pay it so I can say and have who I hear what I want. But I'm controlling the conversation. We need to control the conversation so we can make sure that we're having the conversation that needs to happen and people aren't having it for us. And then changing the culture. Um, I say it on the AOS podcast. It's one of our hashtags. I represent the realest generation. And I talk about this a lot. Like I feel like the senior leaders of the education movement in Indianapolis did not pass on their knowledge to us younger folks. And they stayed around and they took all the institutional knowledge, all the great things they did when the black community was thriving, they took it and they hoarded it and they never passed it on. At least I didn't know. And I feel like I try to be involved and I, I try to connect with a few of them. I ain't going to say them by name, but they brushed me off. And I maybe on another show, I call them out by name, but right now I'm not, I'm gonna let them have their moment and have they shine because they're getting all the love. But 
they blew me off. And I felt like I was somebody who cared about the movement. So I said, bump that. I'm going to create my own platform. I'm going to have my own conversation. And I'm going to change the culture. So I represent the realest generation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my students and other kids who want to pass it on, that I'm going to make sure that I don't hoard this institutional knowledge. And I don't make sure that when I get to the top, hopefully, God willing, that I send the elevator back down for the next person and not just leave it stagnant. So that that's real. And that's that's key. Um, I think a lot of times they don't share that knowledge just because they, they feel like you're going to surpass them uh, or take their place. Yeah. And so we in education as leaders of colors, we have to shout out have to Patrick. To. We got a Patrick Jones who created mm-hmm. Melanated Ed. We have to support one another. Um, because it feels like you're by yourself and you're on a silo. Mm-hmm. And so, but when you come together with other leaders that are pouring into you, it's like, okay, you know what? I can get through this. So yeah, I, I, in order I, I, for things to change in India, I feel like leaders of color are going to have to continue to come together more and not be so silo to support one another and build a community. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my, it's my new, it's my new platform, right? It's the, the realest generation, and I have an obligation as a leader to send the elevator back down. I have an obligation to reach my hand back out and pull up the next leader, and I want them to surpass me. I want them to take my place because if if I stay at the top for 50 years, that means we're not progressing. If there's other hungrier, newer, fresher ideas that's happening, that then we're doing, we doing wrong. And so I'm not going to say shame on them. I'm just going to say I, I wish you would have pulled some others up. I wish you would have helped the next generation because that's why we're in the situation we're in. Because there was this gap in leadership when they retired, there was nobody bringing them back up. But don't worry, we coming because I'm 32 and I got about 25 more years in this game and I'm bringing the heat and me and my kinfolk and skinfolk, we coming. So again, this has been the Recess Podcast, <laughs> episode 12. Uh, I appreciate everybody for tuning in. I, I, th- we're doing good numbers on, on, on the on the live, but we're also doing really good numbers on Apple Podcasts. So again, create the platform, control the conversation, change the c- culture. I'll catch y'all next week with episode 13 where I'm going to have some teachers and we're going to talk about what's reopening like from a teacher standpoint. So check us out, episode 13, uh, part three of Education on the, on the uh, Thursday night. We out, everybody. <laughs>